If you've ever watched A Christmas Story, you'll recall that Alfie, the youngster through which the eyes of this youngster, this story is told, you'll recall the fact that he was once listening to a radio program. If my memory serves me correctly, correctly, I think it was Little Orphan Annie. And during a commercial break, an advertiser offered a special decoder. If he would write and, uh, and ask, a special decoder would be, would be returned and he could take that decoder and would decode a message given at the end of the radio program. Of course, he did that, waiting anxiously, it seemed like, for weeks, and then finally his decoder came in. And we took that decoder, and certainly the message that he was able to derive from that, from that secret code, it was a disappointment to Alfie. What I want to do today is read this passage, but I want to read this passage through a certain lens. I want to give you a word, and this word is going to be the lens through which I want you to interpret this passage. As a matter of fact, what we're going to do, I'm going to read this passage twice, not at the same time. I'm going to read it twice. I'm going to read it once, and we'll make some comments. And then a little bit later, I'm going to read it again. But in both times we read it, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a code word. And I want you to channel and filter what is being said here through that code word. And I think you'll be surprised. I think you'll be surprised of how the Lord will open up to you this understanding. Now let's look at it first. Would you stand please as we give reverence to the reading of God's word. Second Corinthians chapter 1 beginning with verse number 3. Now it's a larger passage but I'm only going to read the first seven verses now. A little bit later I'll get to the other, some of the other verses. Paul begins verse 3. Blessed be, and by the way, it would help if I give you the code word, wouldn't it? Okay, I'm sorry. All right, so here's the first code word. Here's the first word, all right? It's the word affliction, the word affliction. And there's a similar word, suffering. So affliction and suffering. So it's, this is the lens through which I want you to see what Paul was saying, affliction and suffering, okay? So interpret this passage through affliction and suffering. Paul begins, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, let me, just, let me just press the pause button just a moment. When Paul talks about the sufferings of Christ overflowing to us, then what in the world could that mean? Do you think about Jesus and what Jesus suffered? just because of who he was and what he stood for. If you're going to be identified with Christ, if you're going to walk closely with him, you shouldn't expect any different treatment. And you're also going to have some of those same sufferings overflow back onto you. Some of the same things that Jesus went through are going to come back to us if we walk in close fellowship with him. Same kind of sufferings, rejections. There'll be times when you will be rejected. There'll be, there'll be times when you will be disappointed in others. There'll be times when you will feel betrayed. 
There'll be times when you will be lonely, misunderstood, accused. This is part of the sufferings of Jesus that have overflowed back on us. This is what Paul is saying, okay? So let's replay the, press the play button in verse 5. We'll continue on. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, there's that word again, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will also share in the comfort. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word this day. You may be seated. Thank you. And when you read this passage through the eyes of affliction, we're reminded of all the various sorts of afflictions and sufferings that we face in this life. Now, it's not unusual that on occasion... I will receive a letter in my mailbox addressed to occupant. And my name isn't on that envelope. As a matter of fact, the sender could not care less about who the occupant was or is. doesn't matter. The sender just wants the possessor of that address to have this information. As a matter of fact, this is how trouble works in our life. It doesn't necessarily hunt you down, although you may think that it does at times. Trouble doesn't necessarily hunt you down. It's just looking for the person that's standing where you happen to be standing at that moment. It's looking for the person who is there. And if you're there, wherever there is, you're the occupant. Yeah, I certainly understand that God has a larger picture, and sometimes, sometimes, specifically, it comes to us for certain reasons. I understand it. But, tr but trouble and afflictions as a whole, I think, I think are just part of life. Now, it's been said that God is good all the time, yes, but life is not. And the point that I'm trying to make is that troubles and trials and sufferings and afflictions will come to each of us. Now, let me make several general comments that I feel pretty confident about as it relates to trials and sufferings, as it relates to this congregation. All right, so let me, let me give you these three statements, and I feel pretty good about this, feel pretty accurate. Here's the first one. The first one is this. Either you are in trial, in a trial at this very moment, or... You were just coming out of a trial or you were just about ready to go into a trial. Now, I feel pretty confident about that. Either you're in one now, you're just coming out of one, or you were about to enter one. That's the cycle of life. Trouble seems to invade us in any area of life. All aspects, relationships, work, finances, our health, even our church. 
Trouble impacts you. It impacts your spouse, your kids, your friends. As a matter of fact, you'd be hard-pressed today to truly find smooth sailing in any of those examples that I've just mentioned. Now, we've just read how afflictions are so common to us. And in this passage, seven times, seven times Paul mentions afflictions or sufferings. So when you read this through the lenses of affliction, you get the idea that Paul was trying to tell us that, hey, there are afflictions out there. And you need to prepare for those. You need to know that. All right? So let's reread the passage because there is another filter through which we also can read this passage. And we'll give you another code word. And we're going to go back and we're going to reread these verses through this code word. And here's the word. It is the word comfort. So here we go. Let's reread it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, and Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope is for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, you will also share in the comfort. So seven times he mentions afflictions and sufferings, but nine times he mentions comfort. These are the two tracks that Paul says that the Christian life lives. We live on these two tracks, the track of afflictions and the track of, of comfort. Now, the word comfort has lost much of its meaning from the days in which Paul spoke. It's sort of like our word love. Our word love and comfort has sort of lost some of the depth and strength of its meaning out of inflation. We've overused it. We've produced it so much in our, in our words that it's sort of lost some of its impact. We describe comfort in so many ways. We drive comfortable cars. We sit on comfortable cushions we wear comfortable shoes. We even eat comfort food. We have candles and lighting to create the right sense of comfort. Paul's idea of comfort is like none of this. The supreme idea of comfort, of course, comes from the Holy Spirit himself. Jesus, in introducing the Holy Spirit to us in John chapter 14 16 says I will ask the father and he will give you another comforter it's the same word that Paul uses here in 2 Corinthians and and the and the meaning of this word comforter means one who comes alongside and gives tangible assistance in the dire 
in difficult circumstances. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Gives guidance and instruction and love while providing encouragement. And that's why Jesus promised the comforter to come to us before his departure. And as we encounter afflictions and troubles of various sorts, he didn't want us to be left without such a source of comfort. So the idea of comforter is someone who comes alongside to assist. That's sort of not like what I recently experienced. There was, there was an occasion very this past week when I noticed that one of our ladies was coming down the hall, one of our staff ladies, and she had this huge box. It was just heavy, huge box, and I saw her coming, and so I thought that I would do the manly thing, you know? So I opened the door for her. <laughs> what, you expected me to pick that heavy load up? What? But that's not at all what, what Paul speaks of. He speaks of someone who comes alongside and sort of takes that load, helps in assisting in taking that load. You know, one of the most often asked questions when we go through times of suffering is that question that maybe you, you've asked at one time or another is why? Why me? Why did God do this to me? Why do I have to go through this? You know, as a side note, I watched an interview recently a former Fox Network employee, Bill O'Reilly, in which he asked that very question in the same sort of belligerent, demanding way that he would often ask of his guest on his show. Now, O'Reilly, if you recall, has come under a cloud of suspicions and accusations regarding sexual harassment in which he's lost his job at Fox. But in this particular interview, O'Reilly said these words. He says, yeah, I'm mad at God. I'm mad at God. And one day I'm going to ask God why he did this to me. Now, when I heard that, I'm thinking, whoa, whoa, Bill. And I thought to myself, Bill, if you think you know what a no-spin zone is, you wait till you stand before God, huh? That is the ultimate no-spin zone. I could just see Bill trying to say something to God. For the Bible says that when we come before him, that every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow before him as we confess that he is Jesus is Lord. Now, we may not know in the moment, but we'll realize someday that God has his ways for allowing us to go through what we've gone through. Now, we could spend a lot of time breaking down the various truths of this passage. I told someone even this morning that this is sort of like a deep, a deep pool, and you can swim around in this for quite a bit, but only, I feel like I'm only skimming the surface but let me, let, me, let me bring several, several truths that I see here on the surface as it relates to this passage, as it relates to this idea of comfort and our role as apps of comfort. Number one, 
Truth number one, God allows us to go through suffering in order to get our focus back on him. Now think about that. God allows us to go through suffering in order, in order to get our attention back on him. Notice how Paul begins in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. So where does he begin? So where's his focus at the beginning? Well, it's where it should be. It's with God. The Father of mercies and the God of comfort. I'm so glad that God is a God of mercy. I tell you, I've not always been an example of that. I remember when our kids were small and they would... It would feel good at night, and they would cry out during the night. I remember I would usually display my mercies by putting a pillow over my head and hoping that I could somehow just sort of get through that experience without having to, to deal with it. But on occasion, that tactic wouldn't work because my wife would specifically call me out on it. And so I had to get up and tend to it. I remember on one particular occasion, I was a new father. We just had a newborn. as a new father, and I had just really didn't have any experiences. Well, I don't know why I should, but I didn't have any experiences with, with, with disposable diapers. And so, and so here I was having, I, I was trying to figure the thing out. And, and so I was trying to tear the adhesive tab on the disposable diaper. What I, what I didn't realize is that what I was doing, I was tearing it from the wrong end. And I was tearing it. I was disabling the entire diaper. And so, so here I was sleeping, half asleep, and, and destroying a diaper. And it, and it upset me. I just threw it across the room, hoping I'd break something. But it just sort of floated, you know, like this. You know, it just sort of floated. I'd pick another one up, not really knowing what I'd done the first time, and did it again. And then again. And, then, and, it, and my wife got up the next morning, and there was about a half a dozen diapers laying across the floor. And she was wanting to know what happened. I haven't always been a great example of, of mercy. But I feel confident in telling you today that I serve a God of mercy. He's been merciful to all of us. And I know how many times in my life. And Paul describes him as a God of comfort. And he's just like that example that I, I, I shared earlier. That, that comes alongside us, that enables us and those dire and difficult circumstances. Can you recall such a time in your life? Can you specifically recall a time when, when it was just tough? And maybe through, through the aid and the strength of others that God empowered them to be a strength to you. Sufferings and trials have a way of refocusing our sights upon God. And Before Paul gets into the afflictions of life, he focuses on God. And, and what I've noticed what I've noticed is that same principle can be applied in my prayer life. And so many times, sometimes I'm, I'm really not focused on God until I go through a difficulty. Sometimes my prayer life suffers until I go through a difficulty. And when I go through a time of a famine or I go through a, a wilderness experience or go through a time of difficulty, then you, it seems like you're much sharper and your pleas seem to be much more crisp before God. And this is the example here that Paul begins by focusing on God. And he says, and the principle here is that God 
allows us to go through these sufferings in order that we might refocus our thoughts upon him. Here's the second principle. Principle number two, God never promises to shield us from suffering, but to strengthen us in suffering. He never promises us to shield, to shield us from it, to isolate us from it, but to insulate us in it. Notice verse 4. He comforts us in all our affliction. In. He's not necessarily going to take you out of it. He leaves you in it. But he comforts us in it. And when you read that phrase... If I were to ask you, what's the most important word in that phrase? Certainly we would be tempted to say, well, the most important words there are comfort, affliction, maybe he. What about the word in? Because God never promises to keep us from trials. And so we shouldn't feel abandoned when we go through them. What God promised for us is not delivery, from them, but strength and help in the midst of them. As a matter of fact, that's the same thing that he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 37. Speaking of Paul, Romans 8, 37, he says, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is the powerful truth that God will work in whatever your particular trial. And that's why you can be serving God faithfully and then yet wonder what God is up to by allowing you to go through the kinds of and the sorts of things that you go through. You see, God is up to something to allow you to go through it and there in it, you will meet God in a, in a particular way and he will help you in that experience. Here's point number three. Point number three, God allows us to go through suffering in order to be channels of comfort to others who may go through similar trials. Let me say that again. God allows us to go through suffering in order to be channels of comfort to others who may go through similar trials. In verse 4, he comforts us in all our afflictions so that, so that. You see, here's the thing. Your suffering has a so that connected to it. There's a so that in those bad things that have happened to you. There's a so that in all the uncomfortable situations that you've had to go through. There's a so that in all that pain. Paul says you've gone through that so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You see, sometimes sufferings have a way of softening up the hard spots in our life. And one of the ways that we are able to minister and to comfort others is having those hard spots in our life plowed up. You know, sometimes, sometimes I've noticed that I can get hard in some of my attitudes. Some of my opinions, even my perceptions of things can be hard. And have you noticed that sometimes God allows us to go through times of trials in order to plow up 
those hard spots so that God can plant new seeds. One of the things that I find interesting, I've noticed how some people are so critical over certain issues and certain failures until their kids go through them. Then it changes. I've noticed, I've noticed how sometimes we were so critical, so judgmental of something. But then sure enough, our kids will go through the same thing and it will change our perspective. And I've noticed something else through the years. I've noticed that it's really, really easy to judge someone who has failed in an area where we've never failed. I've noticed it's real easy to criticize someone for a sin that hasn't really applied to me. Now, I've got my own sins. But there's some that, there's some that just don't, I just really had not had a problem with. And it's really easy for me, and I try not to preach just on things that I don't have a problem with. I try to be a little more transparent than that. But I've noticed sometimes it's really easy to criticize someone for a particular sin or going through a certain set of circumstances when I've never encountered that myself. The point that I'm making is that God uses sufferings to plow up those hard spots in my life to make me more usable in ministry opportunities for those who have failed. And it's been also my experience that sufferings will often uniquely qualify me to minister to someone who has gone through a similar situation. Paul speaks in verse 5 of having the comfort given to him overflowing to others. You see, Paul saw himself as a conduit, not a bucket. I'm going to tell you, friend, you're not a bucket. And if there has been comfort, if there has been ministry, if there has been a source of strength and a help that has come into your life, you're not a bucket. You're a conduit. Because it's come into your life to flow through your life to others. And if you've just been a receptacle, you've just received it, that makes you no different than the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea receives, but there is no outlet for the Dead Sea, and that's why it's dead. Paul also describes this a little bit later in this second, in this letter of 2 Corinthians. And he does it in a very tangible way. And I want to read this. In, in chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, notice how Paul specifically speaks about this matter of overflowing to others. In chapter 7, verse 5, 6, and 7, he says, In fact, when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the arrival of Titus, 
And not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, your, suffer, your sorrow, and your zeal for me so that I rejoiced even more. Now notice the chain of events that had taken place. The Corinthians encouraged and comforted Titus. He was low, he was down, but he was lifted up by their comfort. He in turn seeks out Paul and comforts, comforts Paul and lifts him up. And now Paul is returning the favor back to the Corinthians and now he's encouraging them. So the Corinthians encouraged Titus, Titus, Paul, and then Paul then was now encouraging the Corinthians again. Do you see that chain, the chain of ministry that was at work? And when you and I comfort those around us, we are a part of that chain. Now let me make several summarizing statements. And this is the portion that I didn't read early of Scripture. And I'm just, just going to bring up just very simply, just some summarizing statements. But just to let you know that, that these are pinned to certain verses in the, la, in the other portion of this passage. So here's this first statement. Even the best of us feels at times like throwing in the towel. There's not a one of us, not a single one of us who, has, who at times has not felt like giving up. Throwing in the towel. Look in verse 8. Paul says, we don't we don't want you to, to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. I will tell you, friend, if someone as spiritual as Paul despaired of life itself, if Paul went through such a time that he felt like throwing in the towel, I won't tell you, it can happen to you. None of us are immune from that. And Paul says we were completely overwhelmed. He's, he describes a crushing burden, a burden so heavy, there's no way he could lift it. And the outcome of that, he says, it was beyond our strength. Even spiritual people will sometimes wonder, how in the world can I ever take another step? And if Paul can get that low, then friend, you can too. Here's a second statement. Statement is this, our comfort starts with prayer. In verse 11, while you join while you join in helping us by your prayers. Now, Paul believed that their prayers literally saved his life. And when we pray, we demonstrate not only the intent and the content of our heart toward that particular matter, but we also, we also acknowledge that the source, the true source of that need is beyond us. And it goes before a God of comfort and a, and a Father of mercies. Now let me just say that your comfort begins in praying for others. But I want to just also hasten to say that sometimes it's more than that. 
but it is at least that. Now James, the New Testament writer, a little bit later in your New Testaments, as it relates to faith and works, says what good is faith if you don't have good works? I would use that also and apply that also with, with your prayers. Sometimes you must do more than pray. But at least you pray. And as the Holy Spirit leads you in your response, then you make an appropriate response. And by the way, one of the things that I've noticed, it's helpful for me to pray immediately for someone who asks me to pray for them. Because I want to tell you, sometimes people have asked me, particularly in the pastor's greeting area, there's people standing to, to see me, and, and they say, would you pray for me? Sure. Hey, 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 man, I'll pray for you. Sometimes I forget. What I've noticed is that it's much better for me to just go ahead and pray right then. And if a friend says, hey, man, hey, friend, would you pray for me? Take advantage of that opportunity right then. You may be in a parking lot. You may be in a restaurant. Hey, it doesn't matter. If anybody has a problem with that, they'll get over that. Just pray for them. Just right there. Hey, well, let's just pray right now about it. And what I've noticed is that that's, that's been the best way for me to handle it. That sometimes, many times, I will remember in my prayer time, and I will remember various names that have come. But I tell you, sometimes I look back and I remember I've let things slip. Our comfort starts with prayer. One other statement. Comfort is contagious. In verse 11, the last part of verse 11, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. There's a word in the original language that was left untranslated. In, in many English versions, it just sort of just bypasses the word. And it's a word which means face. Face. So here's, here's perhaps what Paul was saying. Many faces will give thanks for what was done. I think Paul was envisioning a sea of faces. And their faces were aglow of what they knew was being done in the work of God. And what you do for others, it always splashes over to someone else. Now, at the beginning of this message, I ask you two questions. What is your ministry? And what was the most difficult, painful experience of your life? And the reason I ask you those two questions is because whatever the most difficult, painful experience of your life, that is your ministry. That is your ministry. And whatever else you do, you may teach, preach, sing, whatever else you do. You may work in the food ministry. You may be a greeter. Whatever else you do, that's a sub-ministry. You are a minister primarily through the, through the comfort that you have received and the lessons that you've learned. Now go forth and minister.